There are four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those, those four young guys, you know, they, they were taken from the Jewish people. And kids are dismissed here in just a minute. We're going to do our Bible decree. But out of those four young guys, they knew what it was all about to exalt the name of Christ. And in that story, you know, most of the time we set them apart because it's Daniel chapter 3. And that's what we'll be turning to today in Daniel chapter 6. But we start to see that, that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are all taken into Babylonian uh, captivity. And they start to uh, learn the customs. And yet in the midst of all of this, one of the things that I start to notice is that no matter what kind of outside influences start to infiltrate their mind, they just kept saying, we exalt thee, we exalt thee, we exalt thee, O Lord. And so at, at this point in the text and in Scripture, it just says that they stood alone. You know, and I was thinking at one point, you know, what it must have been, what it must have looked like, I mean, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be kind of in a setting where there was a bunch of people. And, you know, when they all had to bow down to false gods and false idols, what would it must have been like? Do you think it was like this as they stood by themselves? In the midst of a crowd. I mean, just think about it. They stood alone. Now, most people will say, but pastor, they didn't. What you have to understand is that they actually stood together. Well, we don't know what the text actually says, and we don't really see how that Shadrach, maybe he was the first one to, to say, I'm standing here. And now you've got to remember, it kind of puts me in mind of what goes on in America today. Just because things start to change and laws start to change doesn't mean that the word changes. See, here's what's happened. We have sat back and we've allowed the influence of our government to dictate to us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to vote, how we're supposed to feel. But let's just stop for a minute. So when do we start to take on the characteristics of Christ that it talks about in Galatians and Ephesians? And then we start living a life that exhibits Christ. We're all faced with adversity every day of our life, no matter who you are. You're going to be faced with how are you going to respond, and your attitude plays a major role on that. Their attitude played a major role on that. But one thing that I learned from looking at the life of these four men was that they stayed faithful, true, in a life of prayer and consistency. And that is probably one of the most difficult, I believe, characteristics that all of us have to face is staying in you know, saying, okay, I'm going to have good character, I'm going to be, have godly character, and it, it makes it very, very difficult for us in this world dealing with sin and dealing with adversity from the age of children to adults. You know, peer pressure is terrible. And I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I think about, you know, just the adversity that, that they had. And, you know, people are probably saying, oh, man, the heat is being turned up now. Oh, the heat was getting turned up. Old King Nebuchadnezzar even said, turn the heat up because I'm throwing these young lads into the fiery furnace. Then what happened was, at that moment, I just thought, and I, I, I was kind of like picturing, were they freaking out going, don't take me! 
Not me. Or were they calm? Were they cool? Were they collected? Because they knew who they were in Christ. They understood their position. When I say that, I know it's Old Testament, but they knew who they were in God. But yet, we understand that even in their position, they understand their role as Jewish children, as Jewish men. And they adhered to that. And yet, they saw evidence of God work. We see evidence of Christ working right now in our lives. And we won't take a stand, church. When do we start to take a stand? Do we take it before all of a sudden the heat from the flames hit us and we make a decision because we realize right then in our life that Christ is our number one. And when we sing, we exalt thee, we realize that he's our number one. And when we shout, and we celebrate that God is so good that we realize that he's our number one. Or do we allow all of the distractions of our life before we hit the flames to say, God, I just can't do this. It's too hot. This is difficult for me. Life it doesn't, isn't easy. And I really do believe that Satan is after the church. Churches closing by the hundreds. Listen to me. Churches are closing. Do you know what that's telling the world? It's telling the world that what we believe is a God of no hope. Well, I have something to tell you. We at New Hope have a great story of hope. And it lies in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And if we can start believing it and living it, listen, obstacles are going to come. You are going to face them. They're going to come to you this afternoon. They came to me yesterday. They'll come to me tomorrow. It's what we do and the outcome of it that determines the character that we have. So when we look at Daniel chapter 3 and we look at the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe that they had great attitude. And the attitude started to flow over into other people. Now, what I love is that, you know, when you look at young people, and I love that God used young people in Scripture. Because I believe this is your turning point. God called me to preach at 15, saved at 9, baptized at 13, and here I am today. Yeah, I mean, serving the Lord and, and, and taking that commitment was a huge step of faith. And I have suffered greatly spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. See, people say, oh, you know, you have it so easy. Church, Satan's after you. He's on your back. He wants to steal something that's in you. Oh, but he can't. Because God owns it. And that's who we are as Christians and so we have a job. What is that job? To continue to have the right kind of attitude and present that gospel to other people. Let me give you, a, I love this, and I'm sure many of you have seen it before. It's from Dr. Chuck Swindoll, and it's called Attitude. And it says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. Attitude is more important than appearances, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break a company, a church, and a home. I love that. 
How many of you have a good attitude today? Hallelujah. All seven of you. We got to change this whole message out then. So let's just take our Bible and have a good attitude and hold it high because we have the Word of God. This past week, see how long you can hold this up. Just kidding, I want to do this. Let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hallelujah. Daniel chapter 3. When I, when I look at this, the remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. Listen, church, we cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is what? Our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. Daniel was a young man when he was taken as a prisoner of war. Imagine the four Hebrew boys, teenagers, being snatched from their homes in Jerusalem, moved to a far, far away Babylon. All four of the boys taken were princes and not accustomed to the kind of treatment they received as prisoners. And as classic of a statement as that is, I would say there's something greater than attitude in the heart and soul of our life lies with our character. Character is that foundation and basis for every decision we make. Character is that foundation and basis for every decision we make. So we notice that even with Daniel and his three friends, and if you you can follow with me, we're in uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 through 23. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. CJ, I could see you in a turban, my brother. And because the king in his anger had demonstrated such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. The Babylonians could change Daniel's home, textbooks, menus, and names, but they could not change his heart. Daniel and his three friends purposed in their hearts that they would obey God's word and they refused to conform to the world around them. Isn't that amazing? How many of you were tested this week about your character? I was. All toes, fingers. We're always tested. Man, why this test? That's what I say all the time. Oh, it just stresses me out. Then I lose sleep over it. It's exhausting just thinking about it. But our test of character always comes in the outcome. Listen, we can never change them. We can change who we are. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you heard, I I love that it says that King Nebuchadnezzar's face was distorted with rage. How many of you have been tested in life? 
And in that testing, just stop for just a minute and think about this. In your testing, you said, I got this. God, you are for me. Who shall be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am a winner, not a whiner. I am a victor, not a victim. Today, I am a champion. And here we go. I'm charging hell with a squirt gun. Here's reality. If you did that and you said, I'm, I'm strong and I'm powerful because of him. And you realize that no adversity that comes your way will take you down, but will give you the strength to make it through. And that's what I loved about these young men. I thought to myself, they weren't fearful of the outcome. They went inside. Can you imagine? Because their lives reflected Christ. Were there three people in there? How many people were actually in the fiery furnace? Four. Again, if God be for us, who shall? Isn't that the end of the message today? The end. I mean, that's awesome thought. Church, listen to me. If you are suffering financially, and you are suffering with addictions, and you are suffering with bitterness, anger, jealousy, resentment, if you're suffering because you say, my flesh is just so weak, I can't make it, know this, it's just not you. If you are a child of the Most High God, he's your father, and you're not facing this battle alone. Isn't that comforting? So for me, I know that in my life, it's okay. Because I'm going to get through it. See, we're so convinced that it's all about the many, the crowds, the people. Right, Arbor? See, she listens to me every week. She even nods sometimes. And when you hear a coup over here, she actually's like, amen, preacher. <laughs> she always watches me intently. I think it's like a milk comatose or something, but she's just like, I'm loving today. But here's reality. No matter what you're going through, God is for you. He's with you. And he's fighting your, your battles for you. We then move into chapter 6. Here's Daniel. And what's interesting, how many of you remember how old Daniel was? Now, don't shout it out. Lift your hand. We're going to have a little teaching class here today. How many of you remember how old Daniel was when he actually went into the lion's den? Does anybody know the age? Next. Eleven, thirty. How old? Seventeen. Listen to this. Daniel was actually 80 years old. Yes. Now, interesting, I just thought, ooh, as I was doing this study, I did the same thing because I thought to myself, all these years, when I was a little boy and they had that book, and they were turning that book, why was he little? Why was he a boy? So all these years I've lied to my congregation and said he was just a little tot. And then God revealed himself to me last night and said, oh, no, he was not. He was 80. 
what? Where did I miss this? All that studying, all those years of school, and somebody didn't tell me he was 80? That was it. I was mad. So I'm here to tell you today you're going to walk out and remember that God can still use you at 80. Amen? So don't give up. We're going to go through his life. Although Daniel was a foreigner and not in his home country, his integrity and character had secured places of leadership and prominence in the government of the kings in Babylon. And then we'll see in Daniel chapter 6, at 80 years of age, when we find him in the position of prime minister to a king by the name of Darius, there were 124 persons involved in leadership of the kingdom under the king. There were three presidents, and Daniel was not only one of the three, but he was the leader of the three. Needless to say, his cause, this caused some problems. So we're going to look at just a few things this morning, and I might skip around because there's a lot I want to just say today. But I like point number one, devotions at dawn. And if you'll notice here in verse 10 of Daniel 6, he prayed three times a day just as he had always done giving thanks to his God. Daniel knew that his position was in God. So he got up in the middle of his day, and in the evening he prayed. Now, interesting, did you hear what I said? That there were 120 that were with him. 124 persons. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Today we've got about 395 in this sanctuary. And, uh, see, there's angels everywhere. God is with us. And, uh, you know, you think there's 124. And you're thinking that they're all in one accord. Come on, they serve the king. But all of a sudden, jealousy starts to take place. Deception starts to take place. But in the middle of it all, he still makes time to pray. He was a prayer warrior. He knew his God. He had a relationship with him. And church, you can never have a relationship with God if you never spend time alone. You can never have a relationship with God if you never spend time alone. I even get busy. Even in our business, I get real busy. And then I I will end my day. And even last night, I must confess... My mind is alert. Just kidding. Um, and as I lay down on, in my closet and start to pray, something started happening. I was drifting and drifting away. And so I knew I needed to be faithful. I knew I needed to be obedient. But my legs started going to sleep because I was going to sleep if you get my drift. I was drifting away. And I'm like, God, please forgive me. Today I am faithful and obedient to pray. So I took my time, got up, held on to my hangers and the clothes that were in there, stumbled back to my bed and went to sleep. And I thought of Daniel. And I thought, wow, let's stop again. Here's that young lad that was 13 years young. How old was he? 80. Okay, already this guy had set up a place where he was in line with the king. He was there with Darius and all of these other gentlemen that were in the same political position. Got jealous of him. Why does that happen? 
because he had favor of God on his life. And, and, and I see, especially in Christian circles, I start to see jealousy creep up because there's favor on people's lives. We shouldn't do that. We should celebrate when we see evidence and power of God in life. You should help people, prompt them, let them know they are of value, that they are highly favored, and that they are a child of the Most High God. But see, in our world, we have a hard time believing that. And so what do these men do? In the middle of point number two, deception in the morning, they all of a sudden, and you'll see in verses four and five, now watch, I'm going to read this in Daniel 6. This is the New Living, but it says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators and supervised the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. That they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Why? Because he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So what do they do? They go to the king and they ask him to sign the law that says nobody shall bow down except to you. I loved in that song it says no other gods will I worship. Because we have a tendency to bow down our mind, our gods to money, material things, iPhone, iPads, uh, relationships, drugs, whatever it might be. It, it seems to entice us. Because our flesh just needs that just to feed it. And yet they, these guys knew what they were doing because they knew this was a man of integrity. He was a godly man of character. And so what do they do? They sign this law. And all of a sudden, Darius, who loves probably more than any all the other administrators, presidents, officers that were there, the government officials, he says, I'll go ahead and sign it. And then when they came back to him, here's what they said. Do you know that Daniel was praying? Do you know what that means? That if anybody that prays will be put to death. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Let's make this real. Are you ready to die for the cause of Christ? You understand that people in third world countries are being persecuted for practicing Christianity. If today the law came out, which I had to post something on Facebook this past week, but if this week something came out and says we will no longer take an oath, one nation under God. We will no longer hold up our right hand because we believe that you are just perfect and you are a person of integrity and character. Why take an oath on the Bible? Where would you be? What would you do? How would it affect your life? In your school system, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And you go through the whole, whole pledge of allegiance. Only when 9-11 hits, do we stop and reflect and say, God, I need you in my prayer life. Oh no, listen church, I don't want people to look at us and say that we're just a church. I want them to say that we're a praying church.
I want them to say that we're a sold-out people for Christ. That's what they said about Damien. Oh, but they put him in there. Now again, let me go back to my illustration. I'm coming back up here. Don't put me in the lion's den! Did he do the same thing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did? No. Because he knew who he was and whose he was. He was a child of the Most High God. And he said, I will fight any battle today. Come my way. There's nothing sweeter and greater than when I hear grandchildren or children say, I watched my parents. I watched my grandparents pray. I watched them open the Bible. I watched them make Christianity a part of their life. It wasn't religion. It was their lifestyle. So I tell people, I said, listen, for me, living in Christ is living in Christ daily. And many, many times we have, a, we have a tendency to step away from that. Oh, but not Daniel. Daniel says it doesn't really even matter because I will. I will stand strong. But church, I'm here to tell you, just like those officials did, I know you're shocked over this. And, and I want you guys to listen real intently. Because this has never happened to you before, like it has to me. People will lie to advance themselves. I know it came as a shock to all of you this morning. People will lie to advance themselves. Oh, these guys didn't like that he had favor. So let's lie about the guy and get rid of him. Why? Because he loved God. He didn't have to bow a knee to a false idol. He didn't have to do that. He could say, God is who I am. Amen? So then a decision came. Decision of a lifetime. What do we do with him? And so we go through scripture, and, and I'll skip over some of this. We go through 10 through 13. You know, he ends up, uh, you know, Darius signs the law. And that was the decision that took place at noon. And then there was disappointment in the evening as Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Then all of a sudden, you know, he's placed there. And all of a sudden, and, and I don't know for you, but I love that what I hear, and see, she's agreeing, that while the king was experiencing great disappointment on the evening of this day, I think God was delighted at the opportunity to return faithfulness for faithfulness. Even though the king was experiencing great disappointment, he loved his armor bearer. He loved that guy. And he's like, they set me up. They knew what they were doing. They lied. But don't you guys think, even though he thought he'd go in and see the remains of his friend, but if he knew who he was, and I do believe he did, he'd say, oh no, when, I, when we move this out of the way, He's going to be in there. And that's exactly what happened. He opens up that big, huge boulder, and they look inside there. And just like the Akron Zoo, just like the Cleveland Zoo, there sits the lion over there sleeping. What is with that, by the way? You know, you go to the zoo to see, like, these big, strong, awesome lions, and you're like, where are they at? And he's over there yawning on some rock all spread out. And I'm um, thinking, okay, can you, like, come down here so we just paid all this money you know, with all my children to kind of see a lion and he's snoozing. And, uh, but I was thinking that at that point, Darius was experiencing the Akron Zoo. The lion was sleeping. And so was Daniel on the lion. 
Isn't it great to think that no matter what line comes your way, what adversity comes your way, no fire that comes your way, oh, God is with you. He is for you, and he is among you. I like this. Daniel was faithful, and God was faithful in return. Daniel trusted God, but God trusted Daniel. God had no intention of saving Daniel from the lion's den, but delivering him out of it. Just think this through. If you and I could ever grasp the truth of faithful living, our lives would change forever. If we could ever wrap our heads and hearts around the concept of surrendering daily our ups and downs as well as our burdens and blessings, we would approach our lives very differently than most of us do. And so I just want to be forward with you today. There's so many issues that the church is facing today that we have just sat down We've allowed it to happen. We have accepted it. But church, I will not. I will not bow my knee to liberalism. And you know what I'm talking about. The laws that are being set forth that they're coming after preachers already to tell us that I have to marry certain genders. Well, then that makes me, just like anybody else, hi, welcome to New Hope Community Center. Today we're going to give you just a little inspiration and you're going to be on your way. Now, one of the things that's difficult about pastoring is that you have to stand up against sin, because Jesus did. Sin is not acceptable and you have to turn away from it. The Bible says, even to the Jewish people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. Pray, 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 pray. Don't you give up. And then let me just flip it for just a minute. Even though there was deliverance that took place, I want you to know that God is still God, and even though he doesn't answer that prayer, you have been praying for Bob. For years, we all have been. Don't you give up, sister. Amen. We can't give up. When you love somebody, you pray until God starts to see a miracle take place. I remember, and, and I'll say this, and uh, I'll start to, to wind down my message, but I remember just when, when God came to me several years back, and and I was in my prayer closet, and he said, increase will take place, and I'm like, increase? What does that mean? And then, you know, uh, an opportunity came for the church up on Talmadge Avenue. And um, I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Let's go look at that building. That building was $650,000. We didn't have to, we'd never even gotten a loan for 650000 Are you kidding me? I'm thinking to myself, that ain't ever happening. And uh, God closed the door. But did I stop praying? No, you have to believe in the truths that God teaches us. And he shows us in the word of God. And so I kept being consistent, and then God opened up this opportunity, increases this, that we all can text one another and figure out who in the world's going to mow all this big grass around here and all these dandelions. And I just got to tell you, these dandelions, they're from the devil. How many of you believe that? But when I look around here, I think, man, this is awesome. When I saw those little people come through here that Saturday, 
I mean, it was wonderful. It's overwhelming, but it's wonderful. See, God doesn't always answer prayers in our time. Just in His. And so we can't stop praying. Pray without... Amen. So we've got to keep praying. And so I'm just here to tell you today that God can heal your body. He can deliver you from that addiction. He can free you from the financial hardship that you've been in. Oh, preacher, you sound like you're preaching prosperity gospel. Well, thank the Lord. We've got it right here. Amen. Listen to this story. I don't know if you guys have heard, heard the story of Polycarp. I'll tell you this story, and then we'll wind things down and close. Can you imagine what it was like for the church in Smyrna as they watched their beloved and aged pastor burn at the stake? Polycarp was his name. He was a disciple of Jesus' disciple, the Apostle John. One could tell it immediately because he possessed the same tenderness and compassion as his mentor. Polycarp was bishop of the church at Smyrna, which was present-day Turkey. And persecution broke out in Smyrna. Many Christians were fed to the wild beasts in the area. The godless and bloodthirsty crowd called for the carcasses of the leader, Polycarp. The authorities sent a search party to find him. He had been taken into hiding for some Christians, but the Romans tortured two young believers until they finally disclosed his location. This is a true story. When the authorities' arrival was announced, there was still time to to whisk Polycarp away, but he refused to go, saying, God's will be done. One of the most touching instances of Christian grace imaginable. Polycarp welcomes his captors. As if they were friends, he talked with them and insisted they eat a meal. He made only one request before being taken away. He asked for one hour to pray. So the Roman soldiers listened to his prayer. Can you imagine? Wow, how cool would that be? I mean, to think that they actually stood there and listened to him pray. Their hearts melted and they gave him two hours to pray. They had second thoughts as well and were overheard asking each other why they were sent to arrest him. Other authorities also experienced a warm heart when Polycarp arrived. The proconsul tried to find a way to release him too. Curse God and I will let you go. He pleaded. Polycarp's reply was, For 86 years I have served him. He has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The proconsul again looked for a way out. Then do this, old man. Just swear by the spirit of the emperor, and that will be sufficient. Here was Polycarp's reply. If you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly, sir. I am a Christian. More entreaties by the proconsul Polycarp stood firm. The proconsul threatened with the wild beast. Polycarp's reply was, bring them forth. I would change my mind if it meant going from worst to best, but not to change from right to wrong. The proconsul threatened, I will burn you alive. And here was Polycarp's reply. You threaten with fire that burns for an hour and is over, but the judgment on the ungodly is forever. What happened? The fires engulfed him. The witnesses noticed his faith and joy, and then they finished him off with a dagger. He was buried for the cause of Christ on February 22nd, 155. 
is as much a day of victory as it was a day of tragedy. Polycarp illustrated the power of knowing Jesus intimately, intimately enough to follow him in the flames. As Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit, forfeit his own soul? Listen, church, don't you let the enemy grab a hold of you and think you're not worth it. Because he's there for you. Our faithfulness to God will keep us even when the flames devour us. Our faithfulness to God will keep us even when the flames devour us. So he made a decree. His life was consistent. It was surrendered to God on a daily basis. Your choices, your habits, your relationships, your conversations, what you spend your money on, your time management, and every other area of your life, you simply start each day with a mental and spiritual agreement to God that this is the day He has created and you will allow Him to guide and live in you. So church, listen to what it says in Psalms 137. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? In the King James Version, the question, it questions it this way. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? By doing what? By being faithful. By being obedient, by never stopping. Church, God wants to answer your prayer. He wants to see your heart. He wants to feel your motive and your intention. He knows you. He knows the very hairs on your head. And He loves you. And this is what the story I'm going to end with this morning is about Clarence Jordan. Oh, how I love this story. And it breathes life. And I hope that you can say that no matter what adversity comes my way, I too will be like Polycarp. Actually, the word Polycarp, if you look it up, means much fruit. So many of us should continue to have fruit that remains. Clarence Jordan was a man of unusual abilities and commitment. He had two PhDs, one in agriculture and one in Greek and Hebrew. So gifted was he. He could have chosen to do anything he wanted to do. But he came, out of the, he came out of Bible college, and God called him, and here's what he said, I choose to serve the poor. In the 1940s, he founded a farm in Americus, Georgia, and called it Koyania Farm. It was a community of poor whites and poor blacks. And as you must guess, such an idea did not go over well in the deep south in the 1940s. Ironically, much of the resistance came from good church people who followed the laws of segregation as much as the other folks did in town. Oh, the town people tried everything to stop Clarence. They tried boycotting him and slashing workers' tires when they came to town. Over and over for 14 years, they tried to stop him. And finally, in 1954, the Ku Klux Klan had had enough of Clarence Jordan. So they decided to get rid of him once and for all. They came one night with guns and torches and set a fire to every building. 
and Koinonia Barn, except Clarence's house, which they riddled with bullets. They chased off all the families except one black family, which refused to leave. Clarence recognized the voices of many of the Klansmen. And as you might guess, some of them were church people. Another was the local newspaper reporter. The next day, the reporter came out to see what remained of the farm. The rubble still smoldered and the land was scorched. But he found Clarence in the field. You know what he was doing? He was hoeing and he was planting. Oh, I heard the awful news, he called to Clarence. And it came out to do a story on the tragedy of your farm closing. Clarence just kept hoeing and planting. The reporter kept prodding. He kept poking, trying to get a rise from the quietly determined man who seemed to be planting instead of packing his bags. So finally, the reporter said in a haughty voice, Well, Dr. Jordan, you've got two of them PhDs and you've put 14 years in this farm and there's nothing left of it at all. Just how successful do you think you've been? Clarence stopped hoeing, turning toward the reporter with his penetrating blue eyes, said very quietly but firmly, about as successful as the cross. Sir, I don't think you understand us. What we're about is not success, but faithfulness. We are. Good day, sir. Beginning that day, Clarence and his companions rebuilt Koinonia, and the farm is still going strong today. You know what those officers tried to do? Oh, not King Darius. Not King Nebuchadnezzar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He tried to stop something God was doing. And church, I'm here to tell you, that'll never happen. Because God is for us. And you know what's cool about Clarence Jordan's story? That out of Clarence Jordan's story, which koinonia actually in the Greek biblical means, you ready? Fellowship. So when you look at it, it was a group of people. So I just decided to do something this morning. Look, let's get some time and look at their farm and, and see some of the things that were there. But do you understand there's a a little bit more to this story at the very end of this story? He had two family members that were with him. And he kept planting and he kept hoeing. He kept saying, if God before me, who shall be against me? Then one person after another person after another person started joining him. And today that farm still stands. Yes, there's been adversity. But I'm here to tell you that if it wasn't for this good Dr. Jordan, that Millard Ford, the creator of Habitat for Humanity, was birthed because they merged together to have an outreach to reach people. So Daniel tells us in chapter 12, verse 13, As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. Then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. 
your reward is coming, church. It doesn't have to be here. It's there. Your victory is coming. You may not see it now, but you will. And Clarence Jordan, in his story, this is what hangs. Faith is not belief in spite of evidence, but life in scorn of the consequences. Church, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you've been, you are of value, and God has got something great in store for you. Let's all stand. Father, we come to you this morning. We realize that if there is somebody here that does not know you as Lord and Savior and has never taken a stand, help them, Father, today to take a stand. Help them to stand alone. Help them to gain strength in a world where adversity is on every level. Help us to realize that as we hold our Bibles high, that, Lord, that we can be just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can have a breakthrough in fire and flames. We can have a breakthrough in a den full of lions. No matter what weapon that's formed against us, Father God, we know it will not prosper, for you are for us. God, thank you for your word today. Lord, if there's somebody here that does not know you in a personal way, maybe today they need saved. Maybe today this is their time. All they have to say is, Lord, I believe. I know I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Save me. Deliver me. Free me. Help me to have victory. Come into my heart. For you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Help us to walk in truth and in light. And God, again, help us to keep being faithful and obedient. Because our answer is on its way. We will always be faithful to prayer. Victory, deliverance, freedom is on its way. And all God's people said,